Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you'll need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Fightful Boxing Podcast. It is September 29, 2019. At least it is September 29, where I am here in Cleveland. This is the Errol Spence Jr. versus Sean Porter Post Show. Boy, we got a lot to discuss. This was, without a doubt, without showing any hyperbole, without exaggerations, this was one of the best welterweight title fights I've ever seen. This was simply phenomenal. It was amazing. And there's so much to talk about this fight. Any of you who are tuning in, this is the Sean Porter versus Errol Spence Jr. post-show podcast here on Fightful.com and on FightfulMMA.com, also here on YouTube. Anybody that's here on the live post-show, you guys want to chime in, give your quick thoughts on the main event. You guys have a question. You guys want to talk boxing. Leave it in the uh, drop a message in the live chat. It was this was a killer main event between Sean Porter and Errol Spence Jr. For those of you who, uh, and by the way, I'm testing out a brand new equipment, so hopefully I got the proper uh, setting right. So hopefully you guys can hear me. And and I, and I just kind of turned on my phone just to make sure that I have it right. Yep, it's all good. But yeah. Errol Spence Jr. versus Sean Porter for the WBC and IBF Welterweight Championship of the World. Errol Spence Jr. narrowly wins this one on the scorecards by split decision, 116-111 on two of the three scorecards. And the one judge who had Sean Porter winning, had uh, they had it 115-112. to This was... My God, this was fantastic. So let's break this down. Let's break down the chaos, the literal chaos. That was Errol Spence Jr. versus Sean Porter. By the way, shout out to Big E from WWE. My God, I, I, I know there, Big E was teasing uh, something with this event, and it turns out that he was doing a New Day entrance. He did the whole spiel. He did the, oh, and do the introducing Sean Porter. I thought that was fantastic. I thought that was really, really cool. I don't know if this was, you know, Sean Porter approaching Biggie about it, or this was a Fox decision again, considering that SmackDown is moving to Fox on on October fourth, this coming Friday. This in less than a week, SmackDown is on Fox. So I don't know. This may have been a Fox decision to sort of give uh, just one last push of advertising. Uh, for for SmackDown heading to Fox, and it, it was a lot of fun. It was really really cool seeing Biggie introduce Sean Porter like that, and both men 
They head on to this fight. It was absolute chaos. The body shots that both of them were throwing was incredible. From the start of the fight, it was abundantly clear that Sean Porter, as I think a lot of people, including myself, predicted, was Sean Porter was trying to you know rough up Errol Spence Jr. from the get-go. He was fighting on the inside, not necessarily fighting dirty, but he made it very physical. It was a very not violent, but it was a very aggressive-looking fight. It was very ugly at times. There, there was a point, I believe it was in round two or round three, where Errol Spence Jr. and Sean Porter were just essentially, you know, throwing each other around the ring almost like like they were ragdolls. It was almost like a straight-up wrestling match, a sloppy-ass wrestling match instead of a proper boxing fight. And that's what Sean Porter excels at for the most part. He was a, He's a guy that he may not necessarily be the best fundamental boxer, best technician in the world, but what he does excel at is that he gets up in your face, he makes fights very uncomfortable, he tries to force you to fight on the inside, and in reality, it just makes the fight a, a lot sloppier at times. But I think in this case, with someone who is as gifted at fighting on the inside and throwing body punches as Errol Spence Jr. is, I think that was the perfect recipe for a phenomenal fight. And, you know, strangely enough, you know, it's, you know, the old saying, styles make fights, Where and this really was, you know, from a style standpoint, it was, we were not sure how great this fight was going to be, just because it's kind of hit and miss. At times, when it comes to the when it comes to Sean Porter's style, some people don't necessarily like that style, or some opponents don't necessarily match up well with that style. We saw that with the Jordanis Ugas fight back in Mar back in early March, where Ugas, you know, he re he fought very well against Sean Porter, but Sean Porter and Jordanis Ugas, their styles did not mix very well, and, and what we got was a I don't want to say mediocre, but it was a average to maybe below average welterweight title fight. It was fun. It was kind of dramatic because of how close it was, but it wasn't necessarily anything that you would want to go back and watch on your own free time. But in this case, Errol Spence Jr. is a guy that really likes to attack the body and, and is really, really physically dominant. And I think that kind of blended well into Sean Porter's game plan of forcing Errol Spence to be uncomfortable, push him into a spot that he's never really been to before. We look at you look at Errol Spence Jr.'s entire uh, run as champion, starting from when he beat Kell Brook, all the way to find Lamont Peterson, and then to Carlos, uh, I think it was Carlos Ocampo, I don't remember, uh, yeah, Carlos Ocampo, I, I keep mixing up Carlos Ocampo with Carlos Adamas, and I don't remember which one, but... It was, yeah, Carlos Campo to Mikey Garcia. Every fight, uh, you know, in, in some way, shape, or form, Spence wasn't really tested. Lawn Peterson was too old to really give uh, Errol Spence really any trouble. Carlos Campo was way, way, uh, way off his league. He, he really was not prepared for that fight. He, I don't know how he got to be the mandatory challenger for that uh, for Spence's title, but he was not ready. He was nowhere near ready to fight a guy like Spence. And then came, you know, Mikey Garcia. And Mikey Garcia, the problem with Mikey is not that he's a he's a bad boxer. He's a phenomenal boxer. He's a terrific boxer. But the problem is, you know, you talk about a guy like him who is kind of undersized at 140 pounds. You now you get him to fight at 147. 
at some point, no matter how great of a boxer you are, the physical disparity between the two is, you know, it's going to catch up to you. And Spence was not tested at all in that fight against Mike Garcia. But when now you put Sean Porter into the mix and you make a guy that is maybe not in his prime, but is certainly a very, an excellent boxer and someone who's properly sized up at welterweight, someone who's fought at the world title level for various years, who's picked up wins against a number of elite boxers along the way, and he's fought even more elite boxers. Sean Porter was the perfect real test for Errol Spence Jr. as champion. Again, look at all the other times he's defended his belt. Errol Spence Jr. was not tested at all. And I think now we finally got to see what Errol Spence Jr. is all about. And in a showdown, he's, again, he's phenomenal. He's lived up to the hype uh, of everything, every other, every boxing pundit, media, fan, supporter, whatever you want to call it, everything that Spence has, uh, you know, has been hyped up to be. In some ways, he's shown that. He, he has fought one of the best welterweights in the world in Sean Porter, and he's finally, you know, gotten to win in a phenomenal fight. And this was simply fantastic. Uh, Heido Galvez uh, on our live chat says, uh, Carlos, finally, finally, I've been asking for this. <laughs> yeah, it's been my, it's, this is the first, I think this is the first live podcast since the Anthony Joshua, Andy Ruiz fight from back in June. And funny enough, uh, funny story, like the, I originally was not supposed to do a, uh, a post-show podcast. And in front of love, when Ruiz beat Anthony Joshua, Sean, Sean Ross Tapper, managing editor, told me, you got to do – you have to do a post-show podcast. I said, all right, fine. I'll do it. Uh, one, SSS, Carlos, I have so many questions because I've been a – I've become a boxing fan. Hey, you got any questions, but drop it in the live chat. I will, I'll answer as many as you want me, man. I'm, I'm, that's what I'm here for. Discuss, chat with you guys about boxing. I, I'm here all for it. So going back to – Spence versus Porter. So now we see kind of midway through the fight, Porter and Spence sort of establishing what their game plans are. Spence has re really started to attack and really start to claim cleaner shots at, when we got to the sort of the middle rounds. And Spence was starting to sort of be in control and not like, not like Porter was falling behind that much, nor was Porter getting hit that bad. But, it, but for around maybe rounds four or five, all the way to round eight or so, it, it, the Spence was sort of – was clearly uh, the better fighter in those rounds collectively. But then Porter came back, and Porter was really starting to hit Porter, uh, Spence with the body shots in a lot – and you kind of see that a lot in boxing. Body shots may not look as appealing to the fans' eye, uh, you know, when you're just throwing body shots and body shots, and you and it almost looks like nothing's happening. But those body shots do take a toll on a fighter. It's almost impossible to not be affected when you're getting hit with constant body shots, and you're being forced to essentially wrestle your opponent throughout the entire fight, like Spencer had been doing with Sean Porter. And those fights. And those body shots from Porter was starting to get to Spence, and there were moments in the fight where Porter was starting to well, manage to catch Spence uh, off balance. There was one moment we actually stepped on Spence's foot, but he didn't really. But everybody thought that 
Porter rocked Spence with, I think it was a left hand, but I know he actually stepped on it. But the point being, Spence was getting caught off guard and was being put in positions he'd never really been put before. And Porter was starting to really weave in, attack on the inside, and started to attack really, really well when we get to maybe the 8th, 9th, 10th round. And it started to look like the fight became a lot closer than, than many, including myself, initially thought. Then came the 11th round, and Spence manages to catch uh, Sean Porter with one of the most beautiful left hooks I've seen all night, late in the 11th round, and it actually was a counter left hook because Sean Porter was swinging, was already swinging a right hook towards Errol uh, Spence Jr., and Errol just quickly caught him with the left hook, and down went uh, Porter, and that was kind of more or less the the nail on the coffin, Porter came back, and he fought a brilliant 12th round, and really forced his way back into making this fight really, really close on the scorecards, but as the scorecards were at 116-111 on the two scorecards that were in favor of Errol Spence, and in reality, that may not have really played a role at the end, because even if Sean Porter would have won that fight, you're talking about a two-point swing, so at best, it would... It would actually, at, at best, it would be 115-113 in favor of Spence. So even if Porter had won the 11 and didn't get knocked down, Spence would have still won it. But it still would have, but it actually would have been much, much closer. Um, one SS has said, I heard Terrence Crawford in the background since all the other welterweights are with PBC. Could he fight Spence? Uh, yes, we will discuss that in just a moment. But uh, that is possible but that is but that's actually a discussion i'll discuss later today because it had to do with the other big news that came today uh that was announced right before the pay-per-view card started uh mr lh said porter had heart but spence proved he is in an elite group absolutely porter and i was just telling this to one of my friends who was also watching the fight in uh, over there in new jersey porter in my opinion gave the performance of a lifetime against errol spence jr Let, let's be honest a lot of people had they recognized Porter could do damage to Errol Spence. We all knew Porter was capable of making this fight incredibly difficult for Errol Spence Jr. But let's be honest, at the end of the day, most if not almost all of us, whether you're fans, media, whatever, at the end of the day, you're almost all of us thought Errol Spence was going to win this one, either stopping Sean Porter late or it'd be a somewhat decisive decision victory. It was not going to be, it was not supposed to be as close as it ended up being. Spence, again, showed that he really has has a strong, strong case of being the best welterweight in the world, right alongside Terrence Crawford. And I guess if you really want to think of, really go outside the box and put Manny Pacquiao in, in my opinion, I think he's my number three. Um, but yeah, Porter showed unbelievable heart. Porter, man, I mean, let's be honest, okay. He got dropped in the 11th round, but that was not because he didn't have a chin. Because, my God, how could you possibly how could you possibly stay up after getting hit with a left hook as strong as Errol Spence was at that time? And you were going down. You were already going down. You were already kind of hunching over, and you were already sort of not in the proper, in the proper position because you were already throwing a right hook. When you got and you get hit like that, 
There is no way you're you're staying you're staying up entirely. You're at the very least a knee, a, a glove touching the canvas. Something's gonna get called a knockdown, and you really can't blame Porter for going down like that. You really cannot. Uh, let's see. Uh, Hydro got visit. I also got Quincy because this fight with Ruiz and Pocha was amazing. <laughs> well, thank you, thank you so much. Uh, really appreciate the the uh the feedback on from that post show from impromptu post show from like four months ago. Uh, three, four months ago, almost. Uh, yeah, so Porter, I, I really feel, because I'm a big fan of Porter. Porter has been on the Fightful podcast. He's been interviewed by myself over here at Fightful countless times, whether it be at media events, whether it be media calls, whether it be one-on-one -on -one interviews. Sean Porter, I mean, and I've said this, he is, he has, he has the complete package when it comes to what you want in a marketable superstar. He's very good looking. He's very athletic. He's incredibly gifted, has the resume. It is very smart, knows how to talk and promote a fight. He's a very, very intel highly intelligent individual. And he's the guy that really, I, I, I'm sure you look at really what the, the larger plan in place. Obviously, Fox wanted Spence to win. Well, not obviously, but you would think Sp Fox would want Spence to win in order to sort of really start pushing that Errol Spence Manny Pacquiao fight down the road. But it is a Porter had won. I don't think any of us would complain with Porter being the top welterweight, or at least one of the top welterweights after that kind of performance. And it was it, it was incredible. I mean, you know, you look at Sean Porter's entire career. His fights has always been dramatic. His fights has always been close. It's always been, you know, putting yourself in a lot of cases at the putting yourself at the edge of the seat. The fight against Danny Garcia that was really fun. That was a really fun. Sean Porter barely beat Danny Garcia last year to win his WBC title. He gave a spirited effort against Keith Thurman back in 2017. He his fight against Jordanis Ugas earlier this year was very very dramatic. Um, even his fight against Adrian Granados and I believe it was late 2017, and I remember that fight because I was there in Brooklyn. Uh, that was, it, in some ways, it was actually kind of like a, a, not necessarily a poor man's version, because it felt like it was insulting, but it's like a somewhat similar, a lesser version of what we saw tonight. It was very cagey, it was a brawl, it was a street fight, whatever you want to call it, a boxing fight, a boxing match, a chess match, this was not. But I think the crowd at the Staples Center was elated. You you heard you saw and heard the crowd over there at the Staples Center being as excited as you know as, as happy as joyful at the violence and the and, and the spectacle that we saw. I thought this was phenomenal. I think this was by far the best pay-per-view main event of this year. And that's even considering Keith Thurman against uh, Manny Pacquiao, which I thought was a really, really good fight. I didn't think it was, you know, the fight of the year contender or at least the, the top three fight of the year that everyone made it out to be. I thought, this was a fan I thought that was a fantastic fight. But you, you look at a fight like this one that we just saw, Errol Spence versus Sean Porter, that's, that, that, that eclipsed Manny Pacquiao versus Keith Thurman. And I still consider that fight really, really fun to watch. But this was a, a ton, uh, way, way, way better than the one we, than the welterweight fight we saw in July. So now we kind of move on to sort of what happens next. What is next for Sean Porter? Now here's the thing. Uh, 
and we'll get oh actually someone kind of asked a sort of similar question what would it take Aerosmith to get the ring magazine belt because I noticed Count Smith has a ring magazine belt but hasn't unified the belt okay um well the ring magazine belt that's kind of that's in a way it's kind of like an arbitrary thing in some ways some people like it some people don't it's kind of it's uh, in that way it's kind of pick and choose but I don't think we'll get a I don't think we'll get a ring magazine belt welterweight title until we really get Terrence Crawford versus uh, Aerosmith's Jr. Because I think I think the people or they're at Ring Magazine they collectively think it's Spence versus Crawford or bust. So I don't think we're going to get that. And speaking of Spence for the, in this next fight, you know a lot of people want to see Terrence Crawford that they want to see that fight next. And unfortunately, we're not going to get that next. I mean, first of all, Terrence Crawford is more is more than likely going to face Ejerijes uh, Kavaliauskas, Mean Machine Kavaliauskas, at the end of the year, or at least that's been the rumor fight uh, for the December Madison Square Garden show that Top Rank likes to, likes to do every single year. And the way and the way they like to construct this, obviously, Terrence Crawford has a mandatory uh, in Kavaliauskas, but I don't think the but the, the WBO has not enforced it, but, you know, it's a fight. You know, Kavaliauskas has not impressed at all in his most recent outing against Ray Robinson. So, you know, uh, I, I just don't like that fight, but it is the fight that um that we are going to get. And, you know, I, I just don't think that, you know, I, I do think Spence versus Crawford is not just the fight to make, but that is the... But, you know, that that is the fight to make, but it's not going to be a fight that's going to take place anytime soon. I mean, you map it, even you look at what happened after the fight. So Danny Garcia, uh, he moved, he was stepped into, hopped into the ring, and he called out Errol Spence Jr. to a fight. And now that Errol Spence Jr. and Sean, uh, and Sean Porter are done with their business, and Errol Spence Jr. holds two belts... Now it's going to be interesting in seeing when our mandatory is going to be in play. I don't think the WBC has a mandatory just yet, or at least they don't have plans for making a mandatory just yet, because your Dennis Ugas was Porter's mandatory when he was WBC champion. They already resolved that, so I don't think we're going to get that until next year. Uh, I could be wrong unless there was something the WBC decided and didn't even know about it. Then the IBF has Kudratiyo Abdu uh, Kakarov, uh, and I and I and I'm sorry if I butchered the name, but that's a really hard name to have to say out loud. Uh, he has a fight against Luis uh, Luis Collazo, I believe, in the coming weeks. So I don't know if the, I don't know when the IBF is going to enforce that fight. I don't, you know, even if they were to enforce that fight, that's that's a hard one to follow up. You cannot expect Spence to, with the dominant performance, the impressive year that he's had, and go to Kudratillo and, and think that's really going to sell pay-per-views. It's not. You know, at best you're gonna have you're gonna be you're gonna be forced to put that on Fox uh, on Fox TV, which I think would be a really good way to showcase Errol Spence. But I think Danny Garcia is a far better fight if it can be made immediately, and. You know, it's going to be really interesting to see what Spence has, uh, has moved forward. Errol Spence against Danny Garcia is not a bad fight, but I don't know. I don't know. There's something about Danny Garcia as of late throughout his time at 147 pounds that I just really can't feel that confident. Listen, a lot of people were not that confident with... Um, 
with the fight but with Spencer reported they didn't think it was gonna be that good of a fight and look at what we got but then Garcia I mean it's weird I mean he loses a split decision against Keith Thurman in my opinion I didn't think it was close enough to be a split decision I thought Thurman won that fight handily then he comes out and he beats a well past his prime Brandon Rios then goes on to lose to Porter and then goes on to stop a past his prime Adrian Granados and I'm not sure is I mean you can make that fight happen you can and Danny Garcia is a decently marketable guy who can draw ratings, but after we've seen him lose to Keith Thurman and after we've seen him lose to Sean Porter, it's hard to really take Errol Spence as that much more of a credible threat than Sean Porter, the guy that beat Danny Garcia. Again, anything can happen, but really you put a guy like Danny Garcia and, and I'm just – and I really haven't been all that impressed. He looked good against Adrian Granados. But he was put in a position where he was going to look good against Adrian Granados, and I think he may have performed above average, and I think above what some people expect him to. But I don't. But I'm not sure even an impressive win against Adrian Granados is enough to really convince anybody they can beat uh, Errol Spence Jr. Hydro uh, Galvez says, "Is there any chance Callum Smith versus Billy Joe Saunders could happen? Uh, it could happen. Both guys are with matchroom boxing, and I think it would be foolish to not make that fight." For 2020, I mean, Callum Smith already has this fight against John Ryder announced for November. Bill Josander has a fight for the KSI versus Logan Paul 2 undercard. So, obviously, it's not going to happen this year, but there's no reason why it can't happen next year. That That's a, that's a really good fight. I think it should happen next year, but and, and there's no reason to. They're both promoted by Matchroom Boxing, so hopefully we'll get, um, hopefully we'll get that fight happen. So, now we kind of move on. Okay, so... Obviously, the fight everyone wants to see on welterweight is Porter against Benz, and we already exhausted that. But the one fight at welterweight that Fox really, really wants to see, it's Errol Spence Jr. against Manny Pacquiao. Let's remember, Pacquiao was with PBC, and we have, and, and they have teased this fight. PBC and Fox, they know what they are doing. When it comes to building up these fights, they're not just sending Danny Garcia to f to confront Sean Porter for nothing, uh, to confront um, Errol Spence Jr. for nothing. They're not sending out Manny Pacquiao in the ring with Errol Spence Jr. back in March when, after Spence beat Manny uh, Mikey Garcia for nothing. There's a reason why they're doing that, and it's because. It starts to it plants the seeds in the back of the your mind of thinking, oh, maybe I do want to see that fight happen. And then when PBC doesn't outright give you that fight immediately, those seeds start to sprout. And now when you're at the point where it's like, alright, now I really want to watch the fight. You teased it, now I want it. And that builds up anticipation, it builds up even more. In 2020. Maybe we could see it's more than likely not in the first half of 2020. Probably going to be at the end of 2020, at the earliest where we get Errol Spence Universe as Manny Pacquiao. But when you look at the welterweight landscape and you look at the people in charge of PBC and the people at Fox, they know what they're doing when it comes to building up Errol Spence Jr. It's not a coincidence that they gave Spence the two straight main event fights. They didn't give that to Keith Thurman. They didn't give that to Sean Porter. They didn't give that to any other 
uh, well, um, PBC fighter. They didn't even give that to Deontay Wilder. But you put Spence, but but you put Spence on pay-per-view, it starts to really start to make him into a special kind of attraction. Someone that you have to pay to see. And you saw him dominate Mikey Garcia. And you saw him in a fight of the year contender against Sean Porter. Now the lone PBC champion at welterweight other than Spence is Matty Pacquiao. And Pacquiao is still a massive draw. One of the best draws in boxing. You know, he's not as big a draw as he was years ago. He's not gonna he's not gonna draw a million pay-per-view buys. But in today's pay-per-view climate, a million is, you know, you a million would be amazing. But it, you, it's not the end of the world if you do, um, if you do, uh, it, it's not the end of the world if you don't do a million. 500000 $600,000 uh, buys, that's a pretty good, and especially when PBC is charging us $75 for these shows, that more than makes up for any, you know, potential uh, loss in pay-per-view buys, because the money they're raking is absolutely phenomenal. I... Asked this on Twitter, and I said, "What's the over/under on the pay-per-view buys for this show?" And it's, uh, I said, "The over/under at two hundred seventy-five thousand." The majority of you who voted actually said under, and I'm kind of thinking, "No, I think it's gonna be in the three hundred thousand, three hundred to three hundred twenty-five thousand, because Spence has been getting a lot of love from Fox, and they've been, and Fox has been regressively pushing that fight uh, on the NFL broadcast. So we know how good." that marketing from Fox, especially during NFL season, can be for boxing. Let's see, going into the live chat, is Al Heyman a part of Showtime? Because Wilder fights on Showtime and designed to PBC. Well, no, 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 well, PBC is, so basically, and said, I heard that on show from Heido Galvez, I heard that Showtime rejected Luis Ortiz versus Deontay Wilder 2 pay so now it's in pay Okay, so like, for those of you who are maybe confused about the whole PBC thing, so PBC is essentially the entity that sort of organizes these fights, and I'm explaining to you on, like, on the most basic level possible, but PBC essentially is the entity that organizes these fights. They're not the promoter per se. They are not a promoter. I think that's a, that's a very important distinction, but they are a brand that ha houses all these fighters, uh, all managed or all advised by Al Heyman, and what PBC does is that they essentially kind of sells the rights or at least broadcasts rights for to both Showtime and Fox in order to get uh, in order to showcase these fights on television. So the thing about the whole Fox and Showtime thing is that Fox it has a much bigger budget to work with. So they're paying PBC more for the better fights. That's why you've seen this year a lot of fights on Fox or on FS1 that you would normally see on Showtime land on the other networks is because Fox is is paying PBC more money to get the rights to host those fights, and that was really essentially the whole thing with the Deontay Wilder Luis Ortiz situation, which I w I will get uh, get to uh, after we sort of dice finish up with this whole pay per view card. But it essentially, but just to sort of give a quick rundown, uh, Luis Ortiz Deontay Wilder two that's been announced number twenty three show uh, Fox pay per view, and it's not on Showtime pay per view because. Fox essentially offered PBC way more money than Showtime could uh, could really compete with, and so Showtime bowed out of the fight because they just don't have the money. Essentially, let me put it this way: 
if Showtime had managed to counter uh, Fox's offer and get that fight, they essentially would have exhausted the their schedule, their boxing budget for the remainder of the year, maybe even a little bit of 2020, like the first couple of months or so. So now Showtime, with the money that they were going to originally use up on Deontay Wilder versus Luis Ortiz 2, they're going to put that – they're going to spend it on other fights that, from what I can tell, they are starting to look pretty good. They are starting to the, – the the end of the year, Showtime shows are actually looking uh, pretty bad, much, much better than what we saw for the majority of the year so far. Now, we're – where are we? Yeah, the Spence. Yeah, so Spence – I think – I don't know if I would call Errol Spence Jr. the best welterweight in the world right now. I still have Crawford if I number one, but again – after you can really you can convince me you can talk me into putting Errol Spence as the number one welterweight in the world. At the very least, Spence has a much much better resume at welterweight than Terence Crawford because Terence Crawford all he's had is Jose Benavides Jr., uh, let's see Jeff Horn, Edamir Khan. Unless I'm I don't think I'm forgetting anyone. Really, does that's it? That's not a that's a really bad resume, if you ask me. That's not number one in division, but I mainly put Terence Crawford as my number one, mainly because of his past, you know, of his past resume at 135 and 140 pounds, plus his un incredible skill set. But again, if you want to go by resume, Spence is number one. Spence is definitely number one uh, if you were to compare the two fighters. So, so now this we kind of move on to the rest of this pay-per-view card, which I gotta say this was a really really fun show, and this was in my opinion the best P PBC pay-per-view of the year thus far. I think you look at the fights and they all brought something to the table that was really really fun, that was really enjoyable, and I really really liked all of the fights, to be honest with you. So let's start with the co-main event, Anthony Durrell versus David Benavidez for the WBC Super Middleweight Championship. Uh, this one was a lot closer than I think a lot of people were willing to give credit for. You, So we started off with Anthony Durrell and, you know, kind of started uh, started attacking Benavidez with the jab. Benavidez didn't really do anything in the first couple of rounds, but then Benavidez came in and started attacking Anthony Durrell, real good. Around the fifth, I believe it was the fifth or the sixth round, Benavides landed a left jab that caused a cut on the right eyelid on Anthony Durrell. And it started, you know, spewing out blood, you know, all immediately. It wasn't, the cut was not Tyson Fury, Badu Jack levels of bad, but because of where it was placed and the fact that it was, that it was, spewing out a lot of blood, that was cause for a lot of concern, and once you saw David Benavidez as strong and as quick as he is, he started attacking that cut immediately, he, like a shark, he smelled the blood, and we started attacking real, real quick, and jawing that, at that cut to make sure he won that fight, you know, with, you know, throughout any means necessary, I think David Benavidez fought a really, really good fight, he uh, was targeting the he was targeting the the cut and the cut started to get really really bad they had to stop the fight like three or four times just to make sure that uh, David Ben uh, Anthony Durrell could keep going and every time Anthony Durrell said I can do it I can keep fighting and no one w no one thought Anthony Durrell was gonna say I can't you know 
this was too much for me. Uh, this cuts again really, really bad. He's a fighter. He's a warrior through and through. He was going to fight through. It was going to take the referees or the doctors or the commission or his own team to have to step in and stop the fight. And Benavidez started dominating the fight, but Darrell really, uh, really fought back. It was at some points in the f in the second half of the fight, it was really, really close because Darrell was starting to attack. Uh, the body and almost had Benavides on the ropes a couple of times, but Benavides started attacking real uh, Benavides that cut real bad later in the later in the fight, and it got to a point where David Benavides actually you know pinned Anthony Durrell to a corner, and then we saw Durrell hurt and he was. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply bad and we're not just talking about the you know Anthony Durrell and the cut being bad we're talking he was hurt hurt and the commission they actually had two members of the commission on the opposite side of the ring try to step in and stop the fight uh, it was weird because they didn't throw it normally you would think well they they um they it was because oh well the you know the Towel should have been thrown, but I think it was something with the com uh, new thing in California where I guess commission officials are now supposed to come in and stop the fight instead of throwing the towel. I don't know. It was really, really weird. And Benavides stopped Anthony Durrell midway for the ninth round to retain the uh, to win back the WBC Super Middleweight title. And really, you know, just like with uh, at welterweight, BBC has a really good cla uh, class of fighters at Super Middleweight. And really, the fight that everybody's been deciding to make among the PBC Super Middles are is the one between David Benavides and Caleb Plant, the IBF champion. That's a phenomenal fight, in my opinion. I really would love to see that fight, and I thought this was really, really good. And I and I gotta say, I think that is the fight to make. It's not gonna happen immediately because. First of all, you got Caleb Plant. He's probably going to have some sort of title defense before the end of the year. And David Benavides is going to more than likely fight Avni Yildirim um, in his first title defense because when David Benavides was stripped of the title for failing the drug test for cocaine last year, or at least the was the central compound found in cocaine, the title was vacant. Anthony Durrell and Avni Yildirim fought, and there was a big brouhaha with... Um, with Darrell, you know, ha getting cut and then having to go to the scorecards, and it was a technical decision. But I know Yildirim complained about how the way that the last round, the final round, was still scored, even though it wasn't fully complete. So the WBC said Anthony Darrell versus David Benavides is next, but I think Yildirim will get a future shot against the winner of the fight. So I would assume that in the coming weeks at the WBC convention, I would expect some sort of ruling on that. I would expect David Benavides. Uh, to maybe be forced to defend his title within four months, 120 days of winning that belt. So that would make it. So today is September 20, and when it won, it was September 28. So that would make it a deadline of what January 28, January 29, if I'm not mistaken. 
uh, I believe. Uh, Hydro Galvez says, Carlos, I like the commentary for tonight. They don't over-exaggerate like Sergio Mora and the Canelo Jacobs fight. You know what? Normally, I have issues with the Fox commentary team, especially led by Kenny Albert, because I, well, I'm not a big fan of Kenny Albert. And Lennox Lewis either has a good night or has an off uh, or a bad night. And I thought early in the prelims, it was looking like Lennox Lewis was going to get – was having a bad night on commentary. Joe Goosen is a great, uh, great co uh, broadcaster, by the way. I That's that that that's the one constant. Joe Goosen is a phenomenal comment, uh, broadcaster. But – I and I even had other people telling me the, the, the commentary for this team, and even I kind of thought, Broadcast, the broadcast team was really good during the pay-per-view card. It wasn't, it wasn't over the top, and I and it didn't have the Mauro Ronaldo, you know, crazy exaggerated references, almost to the point of trying too hard. That I know a lot of wrestling fans and a lot of boxing fans have a bit of an issue with. Um, you know, Lennox Lewis, no as the color guy. No one really has much of a problem with Lennox Lewis compared to maybe a, I don't know, a a Pauli Malinaji uh, over there at Showtime. And as I mentioned, Joe Goodson's great no matter what. Every time he steps on the mic, I think he's always really, really good. But even then, he, he did kind of have like his off moments in the night. But overall, I thought the commentary was really, really good for the fight, uh, for the entire card, to be honest with you. Uh, the... Prelims, not so much, but I thought a pay-per-view card where it really mattered. I thought it was really, really good. Let's see. So, uh, one SSS and boxing weight classes are really split up. Top rank has the lightweight champions. PBC has the welterweight and heavyweight champions. The zone has the middleweight and super middleweight. So, who has the light? So, who has light heavyweight? Uh, I think that's... Well, right now, I guess what we say top rank, but it's still kind of a split thing because you have John Pascal... Um, who is the interim light heavy? He's not really affiliated with any of them. He's, you know, he, I guess he can go anywhere. Uh, you got Dimitri Bivol, who's fighting on the zone. You have Arter Better BF, Sergey Kovalev, and Alexander Vosik, all for that. So I guess light heavyweight is the top ranked division. I would say that. Um, uh, I, I, I don't got says that. I know what you mean, Carlos, about Mar Ronaldo. I watched Bellator tonight. Actually, I'm curious. I, I'm, I'm hearing a lot of really, really interesting stuff from the. From the Bellator card, AJ McKay with that uh, unbelievable eight-second knockout win to the featherweight tournament draw. Uh, hmm, it, it seems like something I should, I should probably watch out, uh, watch for uh, in my spare time. But moving back to the box, moving back to the pay-per-view card. Then you kind of go to the first title fight of the night: Barrio Barrios versus Batir Akhmadov for the vacant WBA Junior Welterweight title. Before we get into the fight itself. I said this on Twitter, and I want someone to explain it to me, and I will repeat it again. I want someone to give me the argument of the WBA regular junior welterweight title being absolutely needed when you already have a champion in Regis Progress who is healthy, who is active, who has a fight in less than a month ending this World Boxing Super Series. Regardless of who wins the fight, you're going to have a WBA champion who's going to – who's probably going to be ready to fight anyone, you know, by spring 2020. So why, so why on earth would you possibly have a, a WBA regular title holder now, hold by, now being held by Mario Barrios who already is on borrowed time as a junior welterweight because it's no open secret Mario Barrios is going to move up to welterweight at some point in the future? That's not a question of if, that is a question of when. 
as for the fight itself, from a technical and from a fundamental boxing standpoint, this was the best fight on the card. From and, and again, I'm saying this, and we're talking, we're taking certain segments of the fight where you examine the boxing, the technical boxing. This was really, really good. So we start off with with. Mario Barrios, the much taller fighter in this fight, using his range, using his length to sort of keep Akhmedov at bay to start. And one interesting part was that Akhmedov was not able to fire off any successful one, two, three punch combinations because because Barrios had his left hand up. And and obviously when you're dealing with a southpaw and you kind of have are preparing for uh, for the left hand, it's hard for a southpaw to really get anything going when you're the shorter, smaller guy and you have your opponent with the left hand up. It's hard to really throw any any meaningful combinations because the left because the southpaw's strong left hand isn't able to really land on anything too serious. So Barrio's looking really, really well. He even dropped Akhmedov in the fourth round, but then something happened in that fight uh, after the knockdown. Uh, Akhmedov got, you know, came back and he found a way to really attack the body, found a way to close the distance and really stick it to Mario Barrios. And I'm talking like from rounds 5 to 8, uh, from 5 to 11. This was all Batir Akhmedov. There was no, you know, it, it's hard to really justify giving more than one round for Barrios between the 5th and the 11th round. It's really hard to really justify that. Then, you you know, Akhmedov was having a ton of success attacking the body. It was tremendous. It was a tremendous game plan, a fantastic adjustment by Joel Diaz, uh, who is Akhmedov's trainer. And Akhmedov was well on his way to win. In my opinion, he should have been well on his way to a victory. But then came into the 12th round, and Mario Barrios manages to score a flash knockdown in the 12th round and essentially steal the fight and the title away. The fight ended up being a unanimous decision, 114-112, 115-111, I gotta be honest with you, how could you possibly ever justify giving Barrios a 116-111 score? I remind you, from the 5th round to the 11th round, it was all my, it was all Akhmedov. It was all Akhmedov. Maybe one round for Barrios. Because there were a couple of close rounds, but I still thought Akhmedov won, that, won those rounds. I had a 113-113 a draw. And this was a fight. This was one of those rare fights where I think everyone would have said, you know what? If the fights are draw, I can't complain. This was a really good fight. But but here's the thing, and in some regards, sometimes winning in a fight, when you have judges who have their own set of subjective criteria for scoring, when you have a fight and you're and you win six, seven rounds, that sometimes isn't enough. Sometimes just winning the majority of the rounds on paper isn't enough. And we saw it in this case, we saw it in the Tyson Fury-Deontay Wilder fight, where Wilder collectively was the better boxer, but the key difference was there were two rounds where Tyson Fury got dropped. 
And in this case, with between Mario Barros and Batir Akhmedov, Akhmedov was the better fighter collectively, but there were two rounds in which Mario Barrios scored a knockdown. And to some judges, that is the key difference when you're tallying up the scores. It may not be the popular choice, and I think a lot of people were really, really mad that Mario Barrios won the fight, but it, it is what it is. Bar Mario Barrios is a really good fighter. Uh, he showed some good promise, with, especially in the first four rounds of the fight, but... Really, and even a, and the 12th round wasn't really so much a problem like Mario Barrios being the better boxer. It was so much, but you're asking that was got, got lazy and you know slacked off, and that led to the knockdown. So I don't know. I, I really don't think uh, you know. I would say run this back, but that's not gonna happen. Uh, let's see. Hydro uh, guys, say Carlos, you mentioned how Mikey Garcia going up weight class take his hold, but how would that affect Canelo versus Kovalev? Uh, real quick. I don't think it would affect Canelo that much as it does Mikey because even though Canelo is not built as your typical light heavyweight, he certainly is a you know you know I I don't know if, I don't know if that's the right word but he's a girthy guy he's a guy that he can potentially add the muscle without much of an issue so I don't think it'll be that much of a problem and he's had and he's fought at 168 and he had shown no problems and it didn't all and it didn't and he's a guy. Who is more than capable of negating taller fighters' height and reach advantage? We saw that in the Rocky Fielding fight, and we saw that uh, in the Julio Cesar Chavez fight. And Sergey Kovalev is a guy who really doesn't like getting hit in the body, and Canelo Alvarez can certainly do that. So I don't think, I think style, in terms of the styles matchup, and in terms of who the fighter going up in weight is, I don't think it's going to affect Canelo as much as it did Mikey Garcia. So, moving on to the pay-per-view opener, Jose Tito Lopez versus John Molina Jr. Uh, I said it on Twitter, and I'm going to say it again. This was a fun, fun pay-per-view opener. The crowd was the crowd got woken up with two knockdowns from Jose Cito Lopez to John Molina Jr. I thought this, was, this fight was going to end right then and there, and... Turns out it didn't. So John Molina, so John Molina Jr., who's known for just getting hit, just getting hit real bad and having a, a hard head and being in these fun fights, Josecito Lopez came in and he attacked, attacked John Molina Jr. But the story was John Molina Jr. No matter how much he kept getting hit, no matter how many times he got down, he always had an answer for Josecito Lopez. But then Lopez would have an answer for that. And that's when you caught John Molina, you know, figure to speech with his pants down. And you can't, in reality, in Josito Lopez, it was the question when he was going to stop John Molina Jr. Because after he got, after he dropped John Molina Jr. in this for the second time in the first round, John Molina Jr. was told, "Hey, you go down one more time, it's over, it's done. You're you're getting hurt real bad." So John Molina Jr. manages to kind of come back and do really well at certain points in the fight, but Josito Lopez comes in and he attack. You know, he drops uh, John Molina Jr. again. He scores the knockdown in the seventh round. After the seventh round, there was no way why. You know, there is no way. The the fight should have should have continued after the seventh round. John, John Molina Jr. was hurt, and he was hurt real bad. So you get 
So you put John Molina in a really bad situation where he's getting hurt. He's been dropped three times. There's no hope of him winning that fight. They put it on to fight the eighth round. And John Molina Jr. was sort of fighting back. He landed a few good shots. But you could tell. There were more. But you could tell he was losing an exchange. And it all started with a big right hand from... Uh, from Josecito Lopez, and eventually the referee had to step in, and the fight was stopped. I thought the fight should have been stopped uh, after the seventh round, but regardless, this is a fun fight. It was this was a really good pay-per-view opener. Whoever at Fox or at PBC decided to make this fight the one to open up Spence versus Porter, A+. plus. This was the perfect fight to open up the the uh, the the fight. So yeah. Uh, so now I'm gonna round up quickly. Round up the rest of the paper. Uh, the rest of the undercard. Just super quick. Quick results. Robert Guerrero beats Jerry Thomas by unanimous decision. Don't watch this fight. It was really bad. Really sloppy. It will. The fight was at a molasses pace. Don't watch this fight. Joey Spencer beats Travis Gambardella by TKO round three. Joey Spencer, uh, PBC prospect of the year last year. Really really good. Uh, do dominated as usual. He drunk. He dropped Travis Gambardella three times in the first couple of rounds. Gambardella managed to, you know, recover and survive the first two rounds, but then he got hit real hard with a right hand at the start of the third round. The referee stopped it. Let's see. Burley Brooks beats Fabian Valdez by knockout round one. Jose Valenzuela beats Charles Clark by knockout round one as well. Misael Rodriguez defeated Brandon Maddox by TKO round three. Fabian Maidana, the younger brother of... Mar um, Marcos Maidana. He stopped Ramses Agaton by TKO in the first round. Leon Austin the third beat Alan Savala by knockout in the second round. Uh, Alfonso Olvera defeated Amon Rashidi in a bit of a minor upset by unanimous decision 79-73, uh, 79-73, 78-74. We did not see half of this fight because the initial stream for the early prelims went down because of audio issues, and they came back, and and so it stopped at the first, it stopped in the middle of the first round. They came back with a new stream. It was the middle of the fifth round, so we missed half of the fight right there. And Juan Antonio Lopez defeated Fernando Garcia by unanimous decision, 77-75, 79-73, 79-73. Again, yeah, that that was a you know one-sided win. Juan Antonio Lopez landed much cleaner power shots throughout the fight. Uh, Fernando Garcia, really tough customer, but really didn't really didn't do much to win the fight. So that so that's the full lineup of the so that's the full results of this fight. The one swing bout is Lindorfo Delgado versus Jesus Sazueta. Uh, I don't remember that being on the early prelims, and it wasn't on the FS1 prelims. So I believe that is the one fight that is yet to be made. It might actually still be happening right now as we speak, as of this live uh, live podcast. So before we get into the Deontay Wilder. Please RT2 to, uh, to announcement. Quick, uh, I know some people are asking a couple of questions. Why are there three he WBA heavyweight champions when there is Manu uh, Char, Trevor Ryan, and Andy Ruiz? Uh, there are, let's see, uh, two words why there is, uh, why we have three WBA heavyweight champions. Money. WBA loves getting those sanctioning fees from the, from the champion. It really watered down the prestige of what a world title means. There's no reason why there should be why Ryan and Ochar should be world champions. There really shouldn't be. It's it's a complete travesty. Uh, is White still the WBC interim or a mandatory? Um, 
So the latest that we got was that the WBC said we will hold off. Essentially, we suspended naming the Dillian White the interim or the mandatory uh, until we hear back everything. We get a you know we see the end of the investigation regarding his failed drug test. We may get something at the WBC convention next month. I wouldn't hold my breath to it that it's any conclusive uh, finding, but if I'm the WBC, you know, if you're really, really dead set on getting, uh, on having a mandatory for the WBC title, and I don't, and, and I can understand why there was so much demand from the Dillian Whitecamp to have, to be the mandatory challenger, because he was the number one on their rankings for a very, very long time. But aside from that, there's no reason why there should be a mandatory challenger. Dominic Brazil wants that mandatory challenger, and Deontay Wilder more than fulfilled his end of the bargain by giving Brazil the shot uh, for the title. But if the WFC really, really has to have a mandatory, and again, not they shouldn't at this time, um, really, the, the only guy, the, the guys that make sense for making either an interim title or a title eliminator would be Adam Kanowski and Oscar Rivas, the guy who was, you know, who had to fight White in that original interim title fight. So, really, that that is the, you know, Kanowski versus uh, Rivas, I think, may be the fight to make. And I think that would be a really good fight. Kanowski is a very fun guy, as we saw with the fight against Chris Ariola, one of the funniest heavyweight fights we've seen in a very, very long time. So... Speaking of the heavyweights and very, very fun fights, so before the pay-per-view broadcast, we got the announcement, the actual formal announcement that Deontay Wilder and Luis Ortiz will fight for the WBC heavyweight title in a rematch November 23 at the MGM Graham Garden Arena in Las Vegas on Fox pay-per-view. Okay, so I'm sure for a number, I'm sure that there, uh, there are a couple of things about there there are a couple of things to sort of take away from this uh, you know Fox getting the Deontay Wilder rematch because for the longest time it was under the assumption based on kind of maybe the language of what a lot of, of what Wilder and Showtime was saying when it came to their fight uh, to to the fight against Dominic Brazil that you know Deontay Wilder Deontay Wilder is gonna be with Showtime release we are committed to putting Deontay Wilder on Showtime and so everyone thought was or at least we're under was under the impression that Wilder Ortiz too was gonna land on Showtime but what happened was Fox wanted to get into the Deontay Wilder business because they know that if Wilder gets by Luis Ortiz then that is that's it. That you have Deontay Wilder versus Tyson Fury, and that is the heavyweight fight to make. So you have this fight, and in reality, and then and it is a great and it is a great fight, Deontay Wilder versus Luis Ortiz, but it's not the fight to make uh, at heavyweight. But then it became a bidding war over who would get the broadcast rights to getting Deontay Wilder versus Luis Ortiz too. Uh, too. I mentioned this earlier in the podcast. Uh, Fox and Showtime are have a budget and they're trying to pay PBC just to be able to get the rights to a lot of, to a lot of these fights that PBC has to offer. 
but because Fox has a bigger budget, they have more money to shell out for the bigger fights, which is why you're getting better, bigger stars, better fights and bigger stars on Fox, uh, you know, and not on Showtime, when normally those types of fights would be on Showtime, because Showtime has a working relationship with PPC as well. And a lot of people were un and a lot of people when the news started to come out, oh Fox is handling the paper now. Everyone thought, well, oh, is this it for Showtime? Is is PB is Showtime going to exit out of the the uh, out of the PBC business? I would say no, for a number of reasons. Number one, in reality, look, Showtime, unlike when HBO had Top Rank and whatever companies that were with a good relationship with Top Rank. The fight between the fight between you know the the thing between HBO and Top Rank was Top Rank left for uh, left and they got ESPN, but when they did but when Top Rank like left HBO, HBO didn't really have anyone. They didn't really have any marquee names, and Canelo Alvarez was you know Canelo Alvarez contract with HBO to expire, so was gonna Lovkin, so HBO. Along with you know tanking ratings and thought we're out of the business, but in this case with Showtime it's a little bit different because you you're not Showtime doesn't just do PBC boxing. Let's remember that they do the Showbox cards, which are really prospects, up and coming contenders, but they're really really good shows. And they also got the working relationship with Mayweather Promotions, who has Gervonta Davis, who has Bado Jack, who has Marcus Brown, who have a lot of you know. You know, decent names. You also got Salida Promotions, who has Otto Valine, who has Clarissa Shields. So Showtime has plenty to work with. And with the money that they – and the, with the money that now save up by not having Deontay Wilder versus um, Luis Ortiz too, they now have enough money to sort of do – you know, to pull together other cards. One card – it was shown was I believe in was announced recently and it was set line by Erickson Louvin versus Terrell Gashain at WBC Junior Middleweight Title Eliminator. That's a good fight, N not great, but it's a good fight. And then you have you know you also got on the other card Emmanuel Rodriguez versus Rashi Warren a bantamweight title eliminator. You got Robert Easter Jr. against Adrian Granados on that card, which is good. It's a, it's a solid fight. It's a solid fight card that probably wouldn't have been able to be made. Had Showtime, uh, you know, ex you know, broken the bank, uh, done, uh, given every month, every cent that they had, just to be able to get Deontay Wilder. So it was essentially a, do you want the one big fight that even that is not the biggest fight you can make at that division, or do you want to spread that uh, the rest of 2019 and put together a bunch of really good fights? And Deontay Wilder versus Luis Ortiz too is a really good fight, but really we saw this fight already. Luis Ortiz was very close to beating Deontay Wilder, but Wilder came back and stopped him. But here's the thing: Wilder is still just as dangerous as he was when the two fought in March 2018. But with Luis Ortiz, I, I have noticed that he, he looks a, a step slower, and you kind of saw that with the Christian Hammer fight earlier this year. And and don't get me wrong. It's almost impossible to look good against Christian Hammer. Even when you win, and you win impressively, you're still fighting Christian Hammer. So you don't look good regardless. So that fight is not, you know, it's a it's going to end up being a really good fight. But I think it's going to be a lot more decisive this time around than the first fight. And also announced for the co-main event is 
Leo Santa Cruz moving up to Super Featherweight to fight Miguel Flores for the vacant WBA Super title at 130 pounds. First of all, this is a stupid idea because Andrew Gancio is the WBA champion. You go back to the, line to the lineage of the title, his title, which is being called the regular title, his title should be the true super title. But because the WBA, as I mentioned, they love collecting those sanctioning fees, they're just, you know, they're going to put at, at another vacant super title or quote-unquote world title. In reality, there's no need. There's no need to have that kind of title. So it is what it is. I don't think that's really – I think that's a not a good co-main event for a pay-per-view. But in reality, this fight uh, – Deontay Wilder versus Luis Ortiz, the pay-per-view itself, that is the one fight pay-per-view you fight you pay for that main event and that's it. You don't really care about anything else. In this case, the paper uh, card that we had tonight, that was more so you get Spence for the supporter, but you also get Mario Barrios. You also get David Benavides. You also get Josecito Lopez and John Molina Jr. in a really, really good welterweight fight. You like you buy into Spence for the supporter, but you but in the back of the mind, you're also thinking, I'm getting I'm getting a lot uh, a couple of good fights as well. For Deontay Wander, you're you're only paying for the destruction and the carnage that comes with Deontay Wilder fights, and you and people love that. We all love to see Deontay Wilder knock people out, even as incredible and as scary sometimes as it can be. So that really is, you know, Wilder versus Ortiz too. You know, that's the fight to make. If Wilder beats Ortiz and isn't too hurt, then Deontay Wilder versus Tyson Fury too should be next. They keep saying that that fight is set in stone and that fight is there. We'll see if that's going to happen. I still don't fully believe it until we put pen into paper. We get an official announcement from both entities, not just, yeah, we're going to make it happen. Yeah, it's already signed. Yeah, yeah, we're going to do it. Don't worry. I want actual announcements. I want press releases. I want a press tour. I want everything just to, sh just to know, yeah, this fight is happening. So unless anyone has any other questions, and we do actually have them real quick. If Lomachenko wins the IBF lightweight title, does he fight Devin Haney? Bob Aram has been talking bad about Eddie Hearn. Bob Aram and Eddie Hearn. And well, promoters like to talk top trash to each other, just like fighters. But at the end of the day, they know it's all a business, and let's, let's see. I mean, Lomachenko, if he wins the IBF title... Well, the question is really... What's going to happen first? Is Lomachenko going to be fighting the Richard Comey, Teofimo Lopez winner first? Or is Devin Haney and Eddie Hearn able to sort of force the WBC to get make Lomachenko fight Devin Haney? Again, as I'm, that seems to be a running thing with, this, with a lot of questions. That's all going to be decided, probably going to be all decided at the WBC convention in the coming weeks. El Jefe asks, a, hey, Carlos, any chance Ryan Garcia is ready to fight for a belt like Devin Haney or fight him? It's likely since they're on the zone. No, I, I think with Ryan Garcia, I think he's still a prospect. Unlike Devin Haney, who I think he's ready to fight, you know, contenders and world-class fighters. I think Ryan Garcia is still developing. He's still just getting into his relationship with Eddie Reynoso. And Ryan Garcia, in my opinion, has looked phenomenal under Eddie Reynoso. But I think with Ryan, there's still a lot of seasoning left to be done. I mean, hell, 
you know, the planned fight against every 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 Sparrow, a lot of us thought, you know, you know, that could be a fight that every Sparrow could win. So if you're still, so if people are having doubts about you against every Sparrow, I know, and I'm not, I'm not talking bad about every Sparrow. I I personally love every Sparrow. I think he's a really really good fighter, and I think he's very underrated. And I think a lot of people are right to to believe he can beat Ryan Garcia. But I think Ryan Garcia still needs a lot of time to really properly develop. Every fighter develops differently. But he's under the right tutelage of Edwin Reynoso. And in the two fights I've seen him in since making the switch to to Reynoso as a trainer, I think Ryan Garcia has looked really, really good. Uh, will there ever be a Super 6 tournament? Oh, God, no. I love the idea. I love the concept of tournament. Don't get me wrong. And, but here's the thing. With the Super 6 tournament and the World Boxing Series that we've seen in the last couple of years, tournaments are a fantastic idea. But the problem is there are way too many logistical holes, financial uh, pitfalls that you could fall in, and that could derail everything. The Super 6 tournament, part of the problem is a lot of people kept getting hurt. That was the problem. They they kept getting hurt, and they had to cycle in fighters, and it did, you know, the uh, meaning of the tournament lost its meaning. And and it's really it really it's not you know tournaments are great at most just you can do a four man tournament but anything beyond four man and you're inviting a lot of trouble. Uh, another question: Since Canelo is fighting Kovalev, did Kovalev really lose to Andre Ward? Andre was was good at 168, but was he really good at 175? Uh, okay, so my first okay the first fight I thought Kovalev beat Andre Ward, but in the second fight Andre Ward clearly beat. Uh, sorry, Kolev. And Andre Ward was also a phenomenal 175-pound boxer. He, he really he really was unbelievable at both 168 and 175. There's a reason why when he retired, many thought he was the best pound-for-pound -pound boxer in the world. And I don't remember if I ever had Andre Ward my number one, you know, because, you know, look, it changes and sometimes I change best pound-for-pound -pound boxer because there's so many great boxers nowadays, but Andre Ward was the guy who was almost always at the top once he proved that he that he, can, that he is a top guy at 175. So it's really, really good. Will you break down November 2nd since the big... Yes. Yes, I am. Now that I know that this podcast setup has really worked, I can now say yes. We will not only just have live coverage of Canelo versus Kovalev, we will do a post-show podcast, and I am really excited. I'm, I'm happy to be doing these shows. I'm really happy that even with YouTube giving us terrible uh, terrible news that Google Hangouts uh, is discontinued, so we have to find alternative ways to be able to do live shows. I'm glad to be able to do this show. Uh, I hope people really like this show. I hope you guys uh, enjoyed the, the Q&As that, we, that we've had so far in the show. If all goes well... Maybe we can go – maybe I'll go back to doing live podcasts instead of the pre-recorded shows. Uh, I'm going to have to take a look back and see how this podcast sounds. Uh, what do you guys think um, how the audio quality has sound? Obviously, I can't tell right now, but uh, I am really enjoying the setup right now, and I'm really, really liking it. Uh, let's see. Final question. Could Andre Ward be Count Smith? Does that mean he has the 168 like Tyson Fury? I don't think Andre Ward's coming back. And if he is coming back, he's not going to 168. He's not. So that about wraps it up for this edition of the Errol Spence versus Sean Porter Fightful Boxing Podcast. I hope you guys 
enjoyed the show. Hope you guys enjoyed the fights. I really did. I loved it. Uh, you know, it was a phenomenal night of boxing, and I hope you guys have a good night's sleep. It's 3 a.m. over here on the East Coast, and I am exhausted. I am excited. I'm happy. I'm. It's hard to go to bed after all these great fights, but it is time to sign out. Head on over to Fightful.com for all the latest news and MMA, pro wrestling, and boxing. Head on over to FightfulBoxing.com where we have exclusives, interview articles, interview videos with everyone from around the boxing world. You're going to get – you're in, and I'm going to give you a little tease. You may get something this week with the one and only Gennady Golovkin. So stay tuned for that this week on the Fightful Boxing Podcast and on Fightful.com. For Carlos Toro of Fightful.com, signing out. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.